Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It is January 18th, 2023. Oh, we got a show for you tonight. We got a lot to talk about. It has been a whopping three days since our last show, and yet somehow the province of Alberta has managed to make the political scene even more, I don't know what the word is, ridiculous, surreal, dystopian than... um, than than we would have than we would have previously thought. It's uh it's it's really quite remarkable just how out of things out of control things can get in three days. Now to start with, I gotta own something my own because we've been talking about this whole just society or sorry just transition thing for um for a couple weeks now. It's been a little while. It's occupied some of our time, and it is only today that. I finally got what's wrong with the name. So when I heard the name Just Transition, what I immediately went to was like Just Society. It's it's, it's the root of justice. So basically means fair. So the idea of a, a fair transition because of global market forces, because of the need to, excuse me, decarbonize. That's how that's how, how I was heard it. And it wasn't until I heard Daniel Smith speak today that I realized I wasn't putting enough Nike swoosh on it. It's not the the problem with it isn't that it's it's a, a just transition. It's that some people are interpreting it as a command. Just transition. So it really depends on the inflection, I guess. And maybe that's that's a branding problem that that people should have sorted out sooner. We're starting off talking about the the whole just transition thing because it's uh it has dominated the the headlines again for the last couple of days, but it's done so in a way that's managed to get even more ridiculous. Danielle Smith started the week off with a bit of a, a media parade where she was talking about all of all of her concerns. Um, and there's been a few people who have called her out on it. Uh, Max Fawcett wrote an incredible article where he did a really, really good job of fact-checking and speaking to the fact that Daniel Smith has been entirely misrepresenting the whole idea of what the just transition is supposed to be all about. Uh, She's been misrepresenting what the, the federal government's trying to do, and she's been doing a really, really good job of driving the conversation, but she's lying again. And we're going to spell it out as we go through the show tonight, just how deliberately she's lying. And we're going to start with this little tweet right here from Daniel Smith. So what we're talking about right here is a tweet that Daniel Smith put up where she basically said, I'll read it. It should concern Albertans and frankly, all Canadians that Justin Trudeau's just transition plan, sorry, just transition. I'm trying to do the inflection for her. Uh, plan will eliminate 2.7 million jobs, according to a liberal memo. Alberta's energy industry and our workers are world class, and it's time for Rachel Notley to end her silence. A lot to unpack in that tweet. Uh, obviously, she's trying to drag Rachel Notley into the conversation, which, as we'll get to in a bit, she very successfully did. But there's some other things that need to be unpacked here, because where did that 2.7 million jobs come from where does that that number come from it's a really big number sounds scary 2.7 million now it's worth pointing out that this tweet came out yesterday first thing in the morning 10 o'clock in the morning daniel smith came out guns blazing 2.7 million she also did a bunch of uh, a bunch of news articles where she did interviews where she talked with uh, a bunch of print journalists 
digital print journalists, I guess now, um, who reiterated these numbers. They talked about how bad these numbers were going to be. She doubled down on it later on, where she continued to say, we're not backing down on this one, and we would ask all Canadians to join us on this. An important read from son Rick Bell on the just transition. Now, Rick Bell, writing for The Sun, very long-time, let's go with opinion columnist, uh, he parroted a lot of the same numbers that Danielle Smith came up with. And the federal government quickly came out and said, whoa, 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 guys, you're getting it wrong. That's not what we're talking about here. The, the, the just transition number, the 2.7 million, that is the total number of all jobs across all sectors, across the entire country that could potentially be affected by the changes that we're going to see with the global economy and decarbonization and the whole just transition idea. That's how many total jobs exist across all of the sectors. That's not the number of jobs that's going to uh, be cut or lost or have to transition. That's the total number of jobs. Now, this comes from a memo, a briefing memo that was given to uh, a federal MP, where it was talking about how are we going to talk about the, the just transition? Now, for anyone who's not familiar with these documents, they're basically written to give political figures the Coles notes of what they're supposed to be speaking about. That's that's what the whole thing is. It's a it's a shorthand. Hey, if you're asked, asked this question, here's your first line answer. Here's your second line answer. Here's your third line answer. And it details how many potential things uh how many workers are going to be affected if you add up all of the numbers from all of the sectors that are going to be affected then you get to that 2.7 million but again that's not the number of jobs lost that's the number of people who work in the industries who are going to be affected by the changes that are happening globally that's it that's the whole ball game now, there's some people who want to say, well, you know, is it is it really, though, it's the liberals? They're forcing the job changes. It's it's all part of the, the federal plan to eliminate jobs. That's what they're trying to do here. Well, let's go back just a little bit, because if we go to Oil Sands magazine, they wrote an article in November where they talked about what's in store for Suncor in 2023. First line, job cuts, mine optimization and plenty of maintenance turnarounds. As we've discussed on the show before, the bottom line is oil and gas industry is getting much more effective at automation, at efficiency. A lot of the infrastructure in traditional oil and gas jobs has been built. So there's not the need for the same kind of workers. And the article goes on to detail. Suncor also says it plans to improve its safety record by reducing its workforce, adding more supervisory roles and clarifying accountabilities. The company's contractor headcount has been cut by 15%. Now, this has already happened with another 20% reduction planned through the first half of next year. Employee headcount will also be reduced by about 8% by the end of 2022. So right there, Suncor, who's one of the larger players, is saying, we're cutting jobs. This is, we don't, this is just the, the reality of the industry now. That's what it means. 
From there, though, we can take a look at how different provinces are reacting. So, for example, in Alberta, we have Danielle Smith. She's terrified for Albertans. This is the Rick Bell column here. In Saskatchewan, workers are demanding clarity as Saskatchewan weighs future of coal power stations. Communities are worried about losing the tax base from having the big coal companies there, from having people who are having those high paying jobs. What's going to happen to the tax base when those people can't work in those industries anymore? These are real legitimate questions that deserve real legitimate answers. But Danielle Smith isn't interested in talking about real legitimate answers. And we even saw here on the show, we got a message from somebody who said uh, they wanted to, to make it very clear. They said, just transition comment from the north here. The reality is the jobs are gone in Zama City and Rainbow Lake is thinking about moving all of the chatty folks there because they have so many empty houses there and chatty floods. The future needs to be considered going forward. People still need to work, but we have to diversify our economy. That's a comment from somebody who's up there, who's working in the industry. Everybody and their dog seems to be more than happy to acknowledge change is coming. What do you want to do about that? And perhaps there's no better example than a recent story that just ran tonight on CTV. So CTV sat down with the CEOs from Synovus and Meg Energy. Meg Energy CEO Derek Evans told the Canadian press in an interview that his worry about the transition isn't job cuts. It's a labor shortage. I'm quite worried, let, it, let me put it this way, that we don't have enough people in Canada to get the job done. Now, all of these companies are a group of companies that have come together to form this organization called Pathways. The Pathways company are looking to spend $24 billion by 2030 on emissions cutting two-thirds of it on carbon capture and storage systems. After 2030, they expect to be turning to installations of hydrogen and small nuclear reactors as their energy sources. But all of that will require additional workers to build, install, and operate. Those workers are going to need to be trained. And here we have the CEO of one of these companies that's putting all of this money 24 billion dollars into this transition because they recognize the global financial markets are demanding it the environment demands it the companies see the way the wind is blowing they're leading the charge and they're concerned that we won't have enough workers to do the jobs and we know what happens in alberta when specialized workers aren't available Brian Jean made a whole big thing about this in his leadership race where he was talking about workers flying in and flying out and how terrible it is that we have workers flying in and flying out. Well, the easiest way to avoid that is to make sure that we have workers who can do those jobs. And that's what the whole just transition thing is about. Now, another thing that's really important to realize when we're talking about the whole just transition thing is that, yes, there's a law that's there's an act that's going to be coming out to talk about how Canada is going to navigate this, because as identified in that same briefing note, which is publicly available, by the way, it's not a super secret document. But as identified in that briefing note, this is going to affect a bunch of other provinces as well. Newfoundland in particular is going to be hard hit. But we haven't seen the law yet. Nobody knows what's in the act. 
The whole conversation so far has centered around the fact that there are going to be massive changes inside of the energy economy. And how are we going to manage that? That's the question. There's no specifics. And yet we have had nothing but Daniel Smith calling for Rachel Notley to condemn the efforts of the, the just transition. To, to, to say, no, no, we have, to, we have to fight back. We have to stop. Well, this week we saw Rachel Notley took the bait. So she demanded that Ottawa completely scrap it, its plans for just transition jobs legislation. Team Daniel Smith did such a good job of hammering home the message that just transition is bad, that Rachel Notley took the stance that this jobs retraining effort should be canceled for what appear to be only politically pandering reasons. That's it. Daniel Smith set a brilliant trap. Rachel Smith, Rachel Notley walked right into it because the very next thing that Daniel Smith had lined up to say, I see Rachel wants the liberal NDP coalition to put off just transition until after the next provincial election. Does that mean she's okay with it after Albertans cast their votes in May? If nobody has learned anything from watching Daniel Smith since she started her leadership race, we should have learned by now that she's going to grab the goalposts and she's going to run them all over the field. She is the very definition of a bad faith debater. If you accept the terms of her debate, you'll lose every time because she's going to change them immediately. But, you know, we've talked about the, the fact that oil companies have said, you know, we need this. Uh, we need this. We need this just transition. We need to move to um, decarbonizing. We need to move to alternate energy sources. Now, Daniel Smith is totally against all this. Can't be done. Unless, of course, you listen to Daniel Smith. Getting hit by Graham Thompson years ago in 2012 when I talked about how the science wasn't settled on climate change. And I, I can tell you uh, what I've, I've come around full circle on that. I am, I am now probably the first and early adopter of thinking that we can hit a net zero target and we can get there faster than anyone anywhere else. So when I look at the at the challenge that we have, that is the message that we have to get out there, is that we have immense pore space in Alberta that will allow us to capture CO2. Our conversion of our economy to a hydrogen economy is already well underway with this government. We're building a hub in the Edmonton area. Why do we have to wait? for Ottawa to be the center of the, uh, of, the, of the auto industry. We can be the center of auto manufacturing here. Once we get the issue of CO2 out of the way and people see that we are serious about solving it and getting there faster than anywhere else, we also have to tackle the issues of air quality, of water quality, of making sure that we're doing uh, habitat protection, which our farmers and ranchers do so well. And I can't right, wait to sell that minutes. message. So Daniel Smith, that was at the UCP, one of the, the very first UCP leadership debate with the fancy helicopter and everything. Daniel Smith recognized four or five months ago the importance of managing the transition. She recognized the importance of these environmental issues. She recognized that Alberta has the huge floor space to be a leader in managing these things. But now she's abandoned all of that. I want to end this segment with this little point here. Like we said at the very beginning, 
Danielle Smith put out a tweet yesterday where she talked about the 2.7 million jobs. The federal government came back and said, no, no, you're reading it wrong. The 2.7 is the total number of people who are involved in the sectors that are potentially going to be affected. It's not the number of people who are going to lose the jobs. It's the number of people across sectors. The document is publicly available and it clearly demonstrates that that 2.7 is the total number of sectors. It's not the total numbers of jobs lost. This is all information that is publicly available. It's been put across social media. And yet, all of that being said, here's Danielle Smith today. Up to 2.7 million jobs will be eliminated across Canada through just transition. And that's because it has nothing to do with transition at all. It's about eliminating entire sectors of our economy and hundreds of thousands of jobs deemed too dirty by Ottawa elites. It's just a lie. And she knows it. The information is out there. It's available. She's lying and she knows it. There's no other way around it. Even if you want to say, oh, that video was probably filmed on yesterday when she still thought the 2.7 was a thing. The video was posted. It remains up. The premier of Alberta is disseminating false information. It's demonstrably false information. She is going out of her way to scare people. That's it. And in a stunning display of political partisanship, of pandering, we saw Rachel Notley take the bait. Moving on from there, there were a couple of other big announcements that came out this week. Number one, the EMS situation still sucks. HSAA reported January 16th, 328 shifts that were unfilled. That's 328 paramedic shifts that are needed to have ambulances rolling on the street. 328 paramedics short to fill all of those shifts. But we saw from the provincial government a big announcement about EMS. They're making some changes. The biggest changes that they're making is they're getting rid of an entire branch of emergency medical services. So for anyone who's not familiar, there's a couple of different specialties that exist within EMS. There's the emergency medical services, which is the, the, the ambulances that everybody pictures, the ones that go to people's houses when they're having heart attacks or strokes or that sort of thing. But there's also an entire branch within Alberta Health Services that does interfacility transfers. So these are where somebody needs to, they're staying in one hospital, but they need a test that's performed in another hospital. An ambulance will come and pick them up and make sure that they have medical care if they need it, take them to the place that they need to go to, and then bring them back. It's an interfacility transfer. Well, it was announced on Monday, they're, uh, they're getting rid of it. They're going to sell it off. They're privatizing it. So they have decided to issue a, uh, a request for proposal and cost to um, get a private company or private companies to take over these transfers. Now, the argument is this will free up ambulances and AHS paramedics from approximately 44,000 non-emergency transfers per year and improve response time for urgent calls. And there's 
I mean, that sounds like a fairly sound argument. The problem is, if we go back to our very first slide, there's not even enough paramedics available to fill the shifts as it is. 328 shortages. HSAA, which is the union that represents paramedics, has been putting these graphics out for months and months and months. And they range anywhere from 300 to 400 to 500 shifts that are not filled because there's simply not enough paramedics to fill those shifts. So where are the paramedics going to come from to work for these private companies? We've been told that uh, what AHS has said is that none of the people who work for IFT or interfacility transfer within AHS are going to lose their jobs. They're going to be given the opportunity to transition into the emergency side of things. But this is where it gets really complicated because much like you can have a physician, they can have specialties. So, for example, a family doctor specializes in family medicine. An oncologist specializes in cancer medicine. A gastroenterologist specializes in gut stuff. They're all doctors, but they have very different specialties. They work in very different environments. Paramedics are no different. So an interfacility transfer paramedic brings a very different skill set to the table than an emergency paramedic. And there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation for what that transition is going to look like because a paramedic is not a paramedic is not a paramedic. There's all kinds of different specialties that exist. There's community care paramedics who have an entirely different skill set. But the government seems to have decided that they're not going to recognize those differences. They're just going to swing for the fences and see what happens. But it still doesn't address the problem. There's not enough paramedics to work on the existing ambulances. So even if you take all of those trucks that are doing interfacility transfers and you move them over to the eMERGE side, okay, well, some of your eMERGE calls, you're going to have more trucks to deal with eMERGE calls, and that's good. But it's not like there's going to suddenly materialize a boatload of paramedics who are then going to go work on the private side. So it doesn't really solve the problem. But the bigger question, and perhaps the more important question, has to do with where does the money go? Because as it stands right now, with those interfacility transfers operating within the AHS system, that money all stays within the AHS system. It's recycled. It's moved around on paper a lot. Well, now that money is going to be moving outside of the AHS system and flowing to private companies. And that's a conversation that hasn't really happened. But perhaps the most stunning part of the announcement comes from HSAA themselves. They issued a press release same day where they said, yeah, so we're the, we're the people who represent paramedics. Um, this is the first we've heard of it. The government of Alberta made a decision to transfer a bunch of people who work in a very particular specialty, the interfacility transfer folks, to transfer them into new roles. And there was zero consultation, zero conversation, apparently, with the union that represents those people. What could possibly go wrong? Moving on from there, we got to, we had a little bit of excitement in the, the constituency of Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, Sundry. There was UCPAGM. And uh, boy, there was, they had themselves uh, a little bit of a turnout. So you can see, this was a picture posted by Tim Hoven. We've had Tim Hoven on the show before. Tim was a UCP candidate, nomination candidate, who was disqualified. 
and he was disqualified because he had uh, followed a Facebook page briefly that was a little bit white supremacisty. He since disavowed it, made it clear, didn't realize what he was signing up for. Uh, Tim also had some questionable views on LGBTQ2S plus issues. And on the episode that we did with him, he was very, very clear. He doesn't hold those views anymore. Nonetheless, he was disqualified. Now, Tim is very well respected in the community that he's in. And there were a lot of people who were really upset and saw a lot of hypocrisy in the fact that Tim was disqualified. But people like, I don't know, Danielle Smith, who said homeless people should get tainted meat and cigarettes cure cancer. And if you get stage four cancer, it's your own damn fault. Anyways, she was allowed to continue in the leadership race. Well, there's this organization we've talked about and they got a hold of this thing. Take back Alberta. They're a grassroots organization that uh, we're going to talk about more over the coming weeks because it gets really complicated really fast. But they're, they're, the, they're a, a freedom folks. And we, we've seen David Parker, the executive director. He likes to talk about freedom. He likes to talk about you know, the vaccines and mandates and, and all of those things. It's, it's exactly what you would expect. But there's, we have some questions. We're going to talk about at least one of them tonight because we did some, we did some Googling on Mr. Parker. And it turns out Mr. Parker's involved in a couple of organizations. It's not just Take Back Alberta. He's also involved in an organization called Ditchley, which is a UK organization because, of course, it is with a name like Ditchley. And uh, they work with people from across the world to help sustain peace, freedom, and order. What do they want to do? Well, they want to build networks of people who share their determination to tackle today's challenges. They want to deepen journalists' insight. They want to help leaders think. They're focusing on a range of issues, including renewing political leadership and vision for the future, creating a new palette of mod modern options for both left and right globalists and localists. They want to re renew the UK's links with Britain after, or sorry, the UK's links with Europe after Brexit and expand globally. They want to engage China. They want to make the most of technology and mitigating risks. They want to sustain the environment by supporting action on climate change and the UN's SDG 2030 goals. Oh, look how we came back to just transition right there. You could pretty much take all of these things. And you know what other organization aligns perfectly with Ditchley? It's the World Economic Forum. Ditchley is a smaller version of the World Economic Forum. Now, why is this interesting? Because when we take a look at who their Canadian directors are. Oh, who's that guy in the middle on the lawn chair right there? That's Mr. David Parker, executive director of Take Back Alberta. So as much as David Parker likes to expose the whole we have to take back Alberta, we have to fight back against the, these, these ridiculous environmental rules. We have to fight back against the WEF. Here he is on the board of an organization that is effectively advocating for all of the same things. One can't help but wonder what the membership of Take Back Alberta would, would feel if they, if they were aware of that sort of thing. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out with Take Back Alberta because uh, they allegedly started there. I mean, we have some questions about that, too. We'll get to that next episode because their timeline uh, doesn't really add up. But this all comes down to the question of Jason Nixon. What's going to happen with Jason Nixon?
because, like we said, Tim Hoven was, re was rejected by the party. Jason Nixon got the nomination. A lot of people upset about that. Are they going to open the nomination up again? Well, based on what we could see, there's really only one way that that could happen. And that would be if Danielle Smith refused to sign Jason Nixon's nomination forms. That's really what it comes down to. There's no other mechanism in the UCP Constitution for that nomination to be processed, to be opened up. Presumably, Danielle Smith would have to have some sort of really good reason to justify not signing the nomination forms, particularly given that she's on the record as saying she doesn't want to get involved in nominations like that. So it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. A couple more things. We're going to bring Sarah Biggs in for some perspective on this. Affordability payments launched today. Mixed results. Some people were able to get in. They've signed up. Some people weren't. We saw a tweet from ex-Mayor Nenshi. Earlier in the day, he tried to get on, wasn't able to. Said he's going to try again tomorrow. But as we go through the affordability payments thing, and we see all these technical glitches, and we compare it to BC's pretty much flawless rollout, we have to ask ourselves, uh, what's what's the big difference? And when we think back to Nick Lubish's uh, disastrous press conference last week, you know, we, we wanted to build a portal for ourselves. We wanted to be separate from the from the CRA. We got our own we got our own things to do. We're building a platform. It's going to be great. The disclaimer and the declaration is the perfect little cherry on top for this whole little affordability saga. I declare that the information I provided in this application for the affordability program is accurate to the best of my knowledge. Additional information may be required to validate eligibility for the benefit. I understand that the government of Alberta will be varying this information with other authorities, including the, wait for it, Canada Revenue Agency as appropriate. I understand that at any point, if I'm deemed as ineligible, I will be required to repay any ineligible payments. I also understand that the government of Alberta may disclose the information contained in this application to the CRA for the purposes of recovering through the CRA refund set-off program. All are part of an affordability payment for which I am not eligible. They're using the CRA as their collection agency. After they said that they wanted to own the whole thing, they're using the CRA as their collection agency for ineligible payments. It's almost as if the last provincial program that rolled out was a complete disaster that saw hundreds of millions of dollars going to companies that shouldn't have got it, that the uh, Auditor General said, well, we'll never see that money again. Two more little video clips that we want to play for you. Because like I said, it's been a busy week. Monday, Daniel Smith made an appearance on the Sean Newman podcast. And we got to see a fascinating display of, uh, let's go with evolving views. Because some of you might remember, Daniel Smith has talked to great length about pardons. She did a whole thing with the Western Standard right before the end of the year where she was talking about, you know what? Yeah, I think pardons are a great idea. I think we should, I think we should, uh, I think we should give, you know what? I'm going to let Danielle just, just speak for herself on this one. We're, we're watching these cases unfold, and I think that's, that we'll, we'll see that that's the, the kind of decision-making that we, we have to leave to the, the Crown prosecutors. I, I, know that's, I know that because we've been so influenced by the states, I think that some people, I think that the, uh, a premier has the same power as they do in the states of clemency or offering pardons, and I've not observed that that's the case in Canada. We just have a different criminal justice and different legal system. 
And once things have been handed over for prosecution, politicians have to be hands off. So I'm watching it all with great interest. I'm watching to see what those judgments are. Uh, but I do have to, to let that process play out. Be willing to consider a, um, if I could rephrase Ryan's question, a sort of a pardon program to have, have people reimburse for these charges and their legal costs and this kind of thing? I love the sound intention would be to would be to, to deliver a blanket amnesty that was inappropriate political decisions that led to that um, uh, that uh, inappropriate enforcement and so it seems to me it's a political decision to say we made a mistake we're sorry won't happen again daniel smith just a couple of months ago i love the sound of a pardon blanket amnesty i think it's great it's a political problem deserves a political solution there's no reason why the premier can't do that it's not the over-Americanization of Alberta that led people to believe that the premier of Alberta could issue pardons. It was Danielle Smith herself. Now, one of the other hot-button discussions that's been going on lately has to do with the case of a woman who has refused to be vaccinated and she requires an organ transplant. Well, it's a very, very nuanced conversation. And there's been some folks who have fallen into that uh, that uh, little, little hole there because they didn't appreciate how complicated it is. They didn't appreciate that receiving an organ donor, receiving an organ isn't a right. It's a gift from somebody who died from their family. And that there's a whole lot of medical decisions, dispassionate medical decisions that have to be made in order to determine who gets those organs, who's going to get the most benefit, what is the highest likelihood of those organs taking. Well, Daniel Smith has weighed in on this a few times. She's been very clear how she feels about expert opinions. Oh, wait until Monday. Experts let us down, so I'm, I'm not interested in taking in any advice from them. I think that we have to, to be aware there's just so many factors that go into determining the best patient and the, and the likelihood of survivability. I'm, I'm just not qualified to make that kind of judgment. And I, so I think we do have to, to rely on the medical experts on this. And if there is uh, some legal challenge that would overturn that, then uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes at the Supreme Court. We're talking about putting people on immunosuppressant drugs. And I think we've all are, uh, acknowledged that those who are immunosuppressed have greater risk um, on a whole variety of viruses, including influenza, um, and COVID has been added to that list. So I, I look at that as a little bit different, and that's why I'm, I want to defer to the medical experts on that. Danielle Smith went out of her way all the way through her leadership campaign to condemn the medical experts. Even after she was elected, when she did the discussion with uh, the, the Western Standard, condemning the experts the mistakes that we made we're listening to the experts I'm not going to listen to the experts she said that on more than one occasion but now all of a sudden we got to listen to the experts here's the thing there's two things there's two points that i want to make before i bring sarah in danielle smith lies she lies all the time she lies about the 2.7 million. And I just want to throw this tweet up real quick here that came from uh, Unwarranted Deaths. The government of Alberta's own economic dashboard website clearly states there aren't even 2.7 million employed workers in the entire province. As of December 2022, there are 2.388 million employed workers. 
with 149 of those directly in mining, oil and gas and utilities. The 2.7 million number doesn't exist. It's the total number of Canadians who work in those industries. Danielle Smith knows this. She's continuing to choose to lie about it. Danielle Smith, all the way through her leadership campaign, condemned the experts. Now that she's got the power, she's walking that back. Danielle Smith, all the way through her leadership campaign, aligned herself with the anti-vaxxers, with the freedom folks. And now that she's got her power, now that she's got a general election, she's walking all of that back. And there is a hard truth that a lot of Danielle Smith supporters are going to have to face at some point. Y'all got played. She played you like a Stradivarius fiddle. She said exactly what she knew you wanted to hear, regardless of how true it was. And she's continuing to do it. And it's quite frankly stunning that Rachel Notley took the bait. Because if she continues to do this, She's going to let Daniel Smith drive the entire narrative of the entire election for the next three months. But here's the bigger question. And this is perhaps the most alarming question. Daniel Smith doesn't exist in a vacuum. Daniel Smith is surrounded by her staff. She's got her chief of staff. She's got her chief, Rob Anderson. So, you know, do with that what you will. But... She has people around her. She's got Marshall Smith as her chief of staff. She has comms professionals, allegedly, who work around her. She has the biggest cabinet in history. <laughs> she has MLAs. She has a majority government. There are no shortage of people to say, please stop lying. And here's the hard truth that all of Alberta has to face. It's not happening. She's still lying all the time. And that leaves only two logical explanations. Either the people who are around her don't see a problem with her repeating demonstrable lies. Or they can't stop her. Neither of those are good options for Albertans. Neither of those are strong signs of leadership. And the fact that there are as many UCP MLAs as there are, and it is the largest cabinet in Alberta's history, and nobody can get Danielle Smith to stop lying, should give everybody pause. On that note, Sir Biggs, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> a little fired up tonight. <laughs> I don't know if it shows. Uh, it was, the, you know, I was doing okay today. I had like everything kind of mapped out. We had a plan. And then I saw that yeah. friggin' of hers where she doubled down on the two. I was just like, you're just lying more. Please stop lying. Like, Sarah, how does that happen? I didn't, I didn't know my job was at risk. <laughs> well 2.7 million that is literally everybody working in alberta uh, my, so, my 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 toddler is going to be losing her job soon i'm gonna have yep, to tell her the, she's being the, laid off the poor flyer delivery kid he's out of luck now <laughs> well 
I didn't get my newspaper in Saturday. And I was... There you go. Just transition right there. Trudeau messed with your newspaper. <laughs> I called a, one of the journalists directly. I was like, hey, I didn't get my copy Saturday. She was like, oh, call this number. I was like, thank you. It's been a busy three days. It has been busy. So here's my first question for you. This is the first thing I want to throw to you. Help me understand how it is. So yesterday we saw Daniel Smith come out with the 2.7 million. I would be willing to bet money. The video that we saw today was probably filmed last night. I'd be willing to, to, cause it came out at like, I don't know, what, four o'clock or whatever it was today. And, um, it was, it was a dark clearly morning. dark in the video. So I'm going to say it was last night. But what I want to know is how does that video get produced? The 2.7 million number get like demonstrably displayed as false and out of context. Like there's just no, there's nowhere to go. It's that's, that's a lot. Is it, how does is it that like video make it? Country? Is it across the no, country, 2.7 million? It's just an Alberta, right? No, no, it's 2.7 million is the number of people who work in the sectors that are going to be affected by the transition. It's not the number of people who are going to lose their jobs. It's the total number of people who work in oil and gas and farming and energy across the entire so here, country. So here's the thing. I was having some discussions with some people today. <clears throat> like to say hi to my husband um at the end of the day hi hi 53 days to go until mexico <laughs> um because i'm getting out of here for a week guys um here's the interesting thing is that why so why would oil and gas company be on board with the plan, with the idea, with the transition, which they have already started, by the by, why would they be on board if it would affect their bottom line and their shareholders? We're just going to ask ourselves that right now. That's number one. Number two, if we look at, there are some big oil and gas companies in the province that has not laid off workers during the pandemic they had vaccine requirements some employees were being you know let go because of the requirements and all that in the times but they managed to plow through and just keep individuals employed sorry fluff is making an appearance hi fluff um oh he's Hold on. Sorry. Ah! Live. It's always great. <laughs> Check him over so, your shoulder. It's all good. <laughs> no, he's fine, by the way. He's okay. They land on their feet. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fluff is used to it. So, why would the industry be on board? Why would the CEOs... We're not going to rush into the program. It's not the rush transition. It's a transition. So if we look at the definition of transition, it is slowly but carefully adapting to a very certain situation. We are transitioning towards something new. 
So it's not going to be done tomorrow. It's not going to be done in 10 years. It's not going to be, you know, we are already on track. The major oil and gas companies are already have 2030 in their visor, in their, I don't know how you call it. The thing you yeah, this is what we talked about. The, there's the, the pathways yeah. companies. They're looking for 24 yeah. billion by 2030 on emissions, cutting two thirds of it on carbon capture and storage systems. So please tell me, I'm really, really, really trying to understand her argument. Yes, you know, if things go bad and this is not done properly and we're using, uh, you know, Britain's as political footballs or gas workers' political footballs, we refuse to knowledge, we refuse to offer help for new skills because it's always good to have new skills. Um, if it's not done properly, without every single level of government being involved and being mindful about it and credits being issued and help and assistance and support. Yeah. People, some individuals could lose their jobs, but if we look at welders, that's a job that is an extreme high demand. There are other industries that need good welders. Same for welding inspectors. Trades, plumbers, electricians. There's just for an example, my cousin was oil and gas company. He was oil and gas. We were doing oil and gas uh, um, electrical. And then he changed totally a full 180 direction on what he's doing now is not even related to what we were doing seven years ago. Um, we need to be adaptable. So if we are spreading information in a way that is not factual that is used to i'm trying to be professional they're lies i'm not they're lies (laughs) i know you can i can not today (laughs) i am i was too sweary on sunday but did you get in trouble so no 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 i never get in trouble but because i'm my own boss there you go um but here's the thing. We we owe it to Alberta. We owe it to the country. We owe, owe it to our kids. Because at the end of the day, who's... We, it, it, you need to think about your future taxpayer base here. And if you want to miss the boat, miss the boat. But that's going to be on you, my friend. And it is doing a huge disservice. And it's being presenting the issues with an extremely dishonest lens. And seeing Minister Luan today say, oh, my God, emoji, two million jobs. What? Okay, so if it's done wrong, yes, mom and pop shops will be affected. It won't be two million jobs. It won't be. But it won't be. But there will always be opportunities to upgrade, to change industry. Like the green boom is a huge boom. Just we don't want to miss the boat on that one. It's billions and billions and billions of dollars. This is this is the headline I, from the from the CTV article that I was talking about earlier. It literally says, uh, uh, "Let me find it here so that I get it right." It literally the the headline is literally here we go. Uh, Oil sands execs say a just transition isn't a worry. It's their next boom. That's yeah, literally what so they're getting. Back in May, so I helped an organization called Conservatives for Clean Growth. 
out there. We promote, um, we, we strongly believe that no conservative government can be elected on the federal level, but uh, without any sound and solid environmental platform. That's what we believe in. Um, we're looking to work in the provinces. We're be we believe in dialogue. We believe in innovation. And what we've been saying since the organization has been formed is that we need to get on it because if not, boy, oh boy, is it going, ever going to hurt. And also we need to add that if we don't get on board, do we think that another tech is going to come and be like, hey, I'm going to come and, you know, mine your old sands and get the product out? It will be driving investments away. Why is the transition good? And why is the transition is being supported by the industry? It's because it's good for their bottom line. Because they see the fact it. that they're going to be the fact that they're going to be dropping twenty four billion into like that's not small money. That's that's almost the whole uh, a TMX. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So. We need to that take a, a cost step overrun back. Joke. Look at the, yeah. <laughs> Snuck it in there, but we need it. to step back, give our head a shake, look at the numbers, get information, and make a decision. Like, so here's we, here's what my. But I, I'm what, so disappointed by both major political parties. Well, we're right we're now. gonna get we're gonna it's get to not that even in a funny. Why why is she still lying? <sighs> why does Daniel Smith lie so much? Why does she lie? Why? Well, I hope we get some booster juice sponsorship for this because that's some that's some like back to the future two level product placement you're throwing down right there. Um, so here's the other Sorry, piece I, I want to talk about. No, it's not even a product placement, <laughs> but it's you, a compostable straw, guys. And it it seems to be working for you. It's, I bet you could. I bet you could drink a root beer float through that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here's the other piece that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. And it certainly caused uh, more than a few ruffled feathers. So mm -hmm. Daniel Smith has spent the last week and change, two weeks, going on at length about how um, uh, she likes to lie about the just transition. I really, it wasn't until I watched her video today where I was like, oh, that's why. Because she's reading it like just transition. Like it's it's all the emphasis on where you put the, the inflection. Because it sounds like a command if you say it the way that she's saying it, but she spent, you know, the last week, two weeks going after Rachel Notley, like how come you're supporting this evil plan? And Rachel Notley came out and condemned it. And you saw this wave across social media. Oh, I of, saw it. Oh, you did. I saw MVP it. All supporters right. going, what in the Holy hell is what this? And as soon as, as soon as Rachel Notley did condemn it, Daniel Smith pulled the rug out and was like, oh, so you want him to just put the brakes on it. You want to, you just want to wait till after the election. You're just trying to play people. And it's like, wow, projecting much, they, but <laughs> they fell into the damn trap. Why did they do that? Rachel Notley was premier for four years. How does she not know a better than to play into Daniel Smith's hand like that? And B where's the leadership at? Like, why can't she just say Daniel Smith is lying? She is lying. She is lying. I would, I would She's get billboards. Like if, if I was the NDP, if, which I'm not, I would have come out with hard facts 
get industry leaders in front of cameras and be like, this is why we are supporting it. Because the guys are making us billions in royalty payments every year now are supporting it. So we will listen to the industry. But here's the thing. When are we going to start listening? We have a horrible, horrible tendency to not listen to experts, healthcare workers, teachers. Now we're not listening to the oil and gas industry anymore. We just want to fucking piss and match with the feds. And it's election season, so of course we're going to get more pissing match with the feds. But there's also vote fishing for the UCP voter that usually traditionally votes for the UCP, but right now they're like, nah, we think that we're better off with Rachel Notley. It's getting heavy. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's such a bad move. And, you know, my phone's probably going to be ringing a little later tonight. But get on board with the program, guys. Listen to the industry. Listen to the Chamber of Commerce. We've been banging the drum of diversification for years. Then after that, we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be diversifying our economy. And now we're back to square one. What the hell are we doing? Just because we want to win an election? How about you stay true to your values and what do you believe and sing the song of your people, goddammit. Like, it yeah. needs to stop. The, the pattern, I understand they have an election to win, but they're not going to win it if they keep taking bait. The baits that, the booby traps that Danielle is just sitting along the way. It's not going to work. They need to have a hard look a hard lesson, invite experts, use one of those press conferences for purpose, for once, sorry, and do some good. Be on board. Don't, you know, they're supposed to be the party of union. Well, by doing that, they're screwing up the unions, and that is not okay. They are being dishonest with their base and their principles and what they believe in, their pillars, and they're trying to kind of try to navigate and toe the line, which is not okay. It's a huge disservice. And then, of course, Danielle, with all her rights, she's going to use the Sing Notley Alliance for weeks. She just gave them a gift. Yep. It's a bad strategic move. I'm sorry. So with the strategy, this is a piece that I was I was having a conversation with somebody uh, about today, because typically elections are about who can get the most votes out. And it's starting to look more and more like the election in May is going to be more about who's going to have the least amount of people stay home because we have, you know, there's more and more concern progressive conservatives traditionalists who are looking at the ucp under daniel smith and going like wow no, this is not no, what i no, 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 no. but at the same time if rachel notley and the ndp continue to do this like oh we'll fall for the traps then there's a lot like there were a lot of people on on the social medias today and granted we're way out from the from the election but alienating your base is never a good choice who are like no. this is this is not the party that i remember is it now a race to see who alienates their base the base least? Base the most. <laughs> the most. 
Well, that's yeah. They're they're lighting their base on fire right now. It's fascinating to watch. Again, it's something that I would never thought I would see. Um, interesting, fascinating. Lots of analysis to do behind um, in the background, but it, trying to understand why yesterday they were like, "We're saying this, Rachel." I'm wondering why more questions were asked because this is. And Miss Notley has a lot of political acumen, and she's been there. She's, mm-hmm. you know, she knows her stuff. She's oh. been in that seat. She fully understands what's going on in the industry. Why did she take that turn? That's what I can't wrap my head Why around. Why did she, I, I can't wrap my head around it? I do not. To um, the person who has sold that idea to Miss Notley, thinking that it was a great move, <laughs> no. Because now we're all sitting there being like, I. What happened here? Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do, like Maddie would say. Oh, no. But it's, it's to me, that's the, the stunning thing about this. And that's why I think like the next few months are going to be absolutely like, I, uh, I remember when we started the show like four years ago and it was like, what are we going to talk about? For we do like one episode every two weeks, and it would be like we're, we're gonna we're gonna dig deep here. And now we could do three. Oh my god, <laughs> it's nonstop with it. It's every every day with this with with this government. And now that we have like, so here's what here's one one of the questions that I want to ask you is: Do you think it's just about headlines? Do you think it's it's just Rachel Notley was you know what Daniel Smith's chewing up all of the airtime? I want to get some headlines too, so I'm gonna say the if that's what it is it's desperate but here's the issue oh man i forgot what what i wanted to say i forgot i really forgot what i wanted to say well maybe that's what oh my god maybe that's what rachel notley should have done (laughs) and i'd like to just take a sec to point out that that you know, one of the one of the things that we get criticized on the on the show sometimes is that we we spend a lot of time uh, talking about the very bad things that Daniel Smith does because she does so many of them. But we're not past, you know, like we criticize everyone. We criticize everybody equally, and my God, they gave us so much to work with this last two days. Um, I'm deeply worried about the future of the province when two premier and well one is a premier the other one's a was a premier and the premier in waiting Maybe. and are communicating about oil and gas the way they are right now i'm deeply 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 concerned there's a switch that's been flipped and it's not the one that works it's it's upsetting because it is so disingenuine and yes i understand if you don't like the name, say so. If you want a pissing match with the feds and try to distantiate yourself from the federal NDP, say so. Say no. We do not agree with the NDP on these issues. Can we be leaders for once? We are usually leading the country in economic development and revenue and a whole bunch of stuff. Can we start being leaders again and stop lighting fires right, left, and center and really start working with our confederation partners. And that's what's blowing my mind right now. 
is that there's so much disregard for what this could be. And it's very impulsive reaction. It's a very impulsive reaction. It's almost an emotional reaction that they're having right now on both sides. But, you know, be a leader. You don't like, you can say, hey, you know what? We don't like the name. There's some framework that we're concerned about, but let's work through this and let's make it happen. That should have been the messaging. That should have been what we should have said. But no, it's better to say, nope. Because, you know, somebody got up yesterday morning and thought it was the greatest idea on earth. And then they gave Daniel Smith Oppo for, Oppo for weeks. They're going to keep dragging and dragging and dragging this and using it and every with every single flavor they have in the toolbox. Like, this is a huge mistake. And let's remember, it is not for the UCP to win this election. It's the NDP to lose. So my advice would be to, like, bring on solutions to the table and communicate them like yesterday. Because if not, they're toast on the energy issue and the anger they're based. So here's the other question that I wanted to posit to you. One of the things that, and it's come up in the, the comments that you're not allowed to read right now. I'm not uh, reading the comments. <laughs> but one of the, the, the arguments that Rachel Notley put forward was that the, the federal government, you know, the, the, the UCP have destabilized things so much. We got an election coming to put out legislation like this that's going to potentially affect Alberta to even think about it before. Never mind, they've been talking about it since 2019. But... It, to do that is is dangerous and reckless and irresponsible. But the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is if the federal government only legislates when it's convenient for certain provinces, like not all provinces have provincial elections at the same time. Provinces have different elections across the country all the time. We just had uh, a provincial election a few months ago in, in the Ontario's. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't align. And so if you're going to do that your was, legislative calendar based on, well, this province might have an election coming, you're never going to get anything done. And at a certain point, it, what I'm struggling with, with the, that argument from, from, uh, Rachel Notley, uh, is that who, who, which province gets to decide the federal government's legislative calendar? Is it Alberta? Is it British Columbia? Is it Nova Scotia? Is it Newfoundland? If I want to screw with the feds and I'm a conservative and I have or, you know, flip the script, if it's a conservative government next and I, I'm a, a liberal or progressive government and I want to I want to nullify the federal government's ability to make any sort of sweeping legislation. Can I just say, well, we're going to have an election. You have to stop. Like, it's ridiculous. No. So here's the thing. Like, um. The Ontario election was nothing less than stellar. It was bad. It was bad, 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 bad. Like the liberals screwed up, the NDP screwed up, and good old Dougie just cruised along and played the good guy and be like, hey, come have a beer with me because he's very personable. And he, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a beer with Doug Ford. Like he's not that bad. But also what we have seen for the past few months is that Ford, which could be considered somewhat like a populist, has been attracting a lot of federal partnerships and investments for his province, which means more jobs, more revenue, 
more money in the coffers of the province. So why don't we look at Ontario and be stop being like, oh, well, well, we're just being big babies right now because we can't touch the sacrosanct oil and gas, even if the markets are dictating that things need to change. We're just going to be banging, you know, our bucket until the feds give up. No, it's not how it works. There's global markets. You know, we're saying like, oh, dictator oil and Russian oil and all that. Yeah. Next step is going to be Alberta oil because they don't want to play ball and don't, they don't want to get along with the program. And we're going to be driving investments out. If you don't like how the framework is, come up with solutions. You should have had some solutions ready a long time ago. But again, if you don't like that name, you know, just be like, well, it could be a little aggressive and all that. And we would like to further conversations with the federal government to see really what's in there for us. It is okay to address concerns about the program. What is not okay is bashing it when the industry is embracing it. And we still don't even know and what it is. Like, that's my whole thing with this. There's some framework. Everybody's spinning it one way or the other. But until, yeah, maybe a legislation... So here's the thing, considering the states of the interprovincial relationships right now between the feds and Alberta, of course they had to go through a law because we don't listen and we don't want to talk with them. We're talking about 2.7 million over here in Alberta. We don't know what's going on. You know, we, of course, they put it through a law. They're not stupid. There's a whole bunch of strategists and policy wonks in Ottawa then we're like, you know what, guys, we really want to get this done, but Alberta won't play along. The industry's on board, so we're just going to put it along. Because we're at a point where we almost, where our elected officials almost need to be forced into it. But even if we're going to be negative net zero, right? Like it was mentioned this summer during the debate. I was shaking my head on that one. And we're, you know, we're ahead of the game and we're doing, you know, net zero and all those great things, but we're, we're fighting it right now. And there's nothing wrong from moving from oil and gas to regular construction or to go industrial construction, because there's going to be a lot of industrial construction in the next 25 years, guys. And it does not kill the oil and gas industry. We're just going to be doing things differently and more in a cleaner way. There's nothing wrong into it. It's not gonna, it's like there's a band-aid and we're super scared to rip it. But we know we need to take it off because we know it's been coming for 20 years. But it's time to take the band-aid off. If nothing less short, that just transition is an insurance policy on the oil and gas sector. That's exactly. See, that's that's why I, it's, it's, it's something they've asked for. It's something that they said that they need. They've said they need the retraining. They said that their concerns are, are we going to have enough qualified Canadians to do the work that we're going to need to do in order to do this? And But here's, here's, here's what my, I want to get your personal take on because this, this to me flips the script perfectly. In the article where Rachel Notley condemned the just transition plan that doesn't exist yet, she call, also called for the Liberals to immediately lift emissions targets for 2030, which she calls unrealistic and unachievable. I just want to go back. Rachel Notley saying those emissions targets, 
unrealistic, unachievable. Let's go back to Ditchley. <laughs> who want to make sure that we're sustaining our environment by supporting action on climate change and the UN's SDG 2030 goals. David Parker, who is a director for Ditchley Canada, apparently supports the 2030 goals more than Rachel Notley, the director of Take Back Alberta is involved with an organization yeah, yeah, that has more yeah. is involved with an organization that has more aggressive climate goals than the NDP right now. I mean, Hey David, what else can you hope say? You're happy <laughs> well, he's hope having you're a great having week. It looks like he's having oh, a great week. I would not be happy if I was in right now. Just saying, or maybe he was hoping that we wouldn't find out that he was on that board. Well, you never know. Or whatever he is. I think it's wildly entertaining. But baby WEF. Baby W, mini WEF. Um, let's talk about the, the Jason Nixon thing real quick. Since we the we, very tall we, we pivoted Jason Nixon. We, we pivoted back to back to that. Um, so take back Alberta, took back Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, Sundry. Did I get it right? I did. Look at me. Go. I'd like to. I, I, I always forget the name. Um, Here's what's fascinating to me: they had 500 people turn out, 300 of which were voting. 200 just came for I don't know sport. Thoughts and prayers. Okay. They swept the board. There's a 14 years old that got elected. Good for you, kid, for getting involved. But I'm. I hope he picks the right crowd. I mean, fourteen good, good for a fourteen year. I'm not gonna, any fourteen year old no. getting involved. Props. I salute every single fourteen years old that decides to get involved in politics. It's it's important for democracy. But my hope and my wish is that he hangs out with the right crowd. Are we going to see the nomination flipped? What's your prediction? Hmm. What's your prediction? There will be an attempt. 100%. Well, there's going to be an attempt. I'm sure that there will be some letters written and some begging and pleading. Uh, but is it going to work? There's going to be a lot of letters and a lot of petitions and a lot of stuff going on the telegram stuff. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Is it going to work? We will see who leads the party then. Ooh. Well, and this goes back to what we talked about on Sunday. There is, I mean, I can't help but wonder because there are, I struggle with this because there are you and I have talked about this before as much as there are oh, massive political differences. There are people who are involved in the government who aren't monsters. Um, and I can only imagine that for some of the more um, not deluded ones watching Daniel Smith continue to bang that 2.7 million drum has got to be like, what are you doing? But again, I go back like it's it, to the question that I asked at the end of the rant. Like, why is no one stopping her? Why didn't that video get not posted? That's a perfect example of how dysfunctional Nicole Chamber can become. Fair enough. Not very satisfying, though. It's, uh, you know, uh, we're really going to see, like, I was having a, a lunch with a very nice person today, and we were 
the person is, you know, very well known in the political world and we're talking and it feels like the, the UCP is only a shell of itself. And we will, the true, true test will be in the upcoming months with the appointments, if, if more people will get appointed, how um, Calgary's nominations will go and how, if there are some contested nominations, because they can bring it back into arbitration and contest it and do whatever they want to serve very, very specific and to remove some Kenny loyalists or, you know, maybe other people that are supporting that could potentially support, you know, some efforts to, you know, try to steer the ship back into, you know, something more palatable. Um, we're going to see if how, if the party's a shell of itself or if the party's still well kicking in the life. We'll see. When do you think, if ever, when do you think we're going to see the, the, the lights start to go on with some of the, cause here's the thing that I'm waiting for. Nervously. I'll add. They, they, they got to do it. Let, let me read into my uh, smoothie cup no, no, here. No, there's, there's, I'm, a, I gotta, I'm a tea leaf reader. Okay. Let me finish the question. Oh, when, yeah. when do the, the tea leaves as it were fall from the eyes of the people that Smith played? Because she played a bunch of people. There's no getting around that. She made a whole bunch of promises that she, there's a strong reason to believe she never intended to deliver. She still continues to mislead people. She still continues to lie to people. When is it that you think that the people who she weaponized, the radicalized ones, are going to say, oh, wait a second. I think you might have taken advantage of my anger. When does that happen? Or does it? What I'm waiting for is for the progressives in the party and everything that we're hearing, the background and all that, if it has to happen and if something needs to happen, it has to happen in the next two to three weeks. Because after that, it's gone. The window will be gone. If somebody out there is listening... It's got to be done quicker than sooner if they really want to be, you know, steer the shit back and make this reasonable and approachable for all Burtons and really go back to like, well, you know, I don't know what they want to go back to, but um, <laughs> can we just ask for good common sense for once? Maybe? You know what? Can we? A boring government can would we? be great. I could, boy, I could get I... some boring government. You know, I'm a super boring person. I would have been great in government. Like we were planning on being the most boring government ever. And then um, the other guy that I'm working with, my business partner, we see policies coming out every day. And we're like, sigh, we would have been so good. Sigh, we would have, because it's all our policies just being used right, left and center. It's hilarious. Um, so we're like, sigh, we would have been, would have been in government. You know, you're always doubting yourself, even if we didn't stand a chance. Um, but you know, it's good to have some validation. But if they're planning, if there's some, if there's even like a thought, or we never know for sure what's going on in the background. There's rumors. There's people talking. There's a lot of text messages. 
you know, screenshots, everything. But here's what I'm going to say. If someone somewhere is trying to fix this and really does care about the state of the province right now, they will, and they want to bring some changes, they will have to do, and I'm not calling for an insurrection here. Please don't get me wrong. Not what I'm calling for. I'm just saying, if what we are hearing is true, they need to act sooner than later because it's going to be too late. I'm not making any assumptions here. I'm just doing, if somebody wants to do something or try to steer Smith back or, you know, do anything at all, you have two to three weeks to get it done. That's it. Then this ship, I was going to say the sail has shipped. The ship has sailed. But I mean, we've talked about this where the the idea of, you know, the rumor, the great rumor was that there was a, a bit of a conversation between the more extreme factions where they said to Smith, you can't, you can't, you got to, you got to stay, stay on target. And it certainly seems like that conversation is held because she is uh, back to lying a lot. She lies, Sarah. She just does. I, I don't know what to tell you. She's a lying liar who lies. Happily. Um, what are you looking for for the rest of the week? Do we have any other surprises coming up, do you think? It's going to blow up. I'm just... Like, how, long is, how long is Daniel Smith going to be leading Rachel Notley along by the nose there? Oh, for a while. For a long time. <laughs> They're going to milk it. Remember, so I'm just going to give you an example on how you can milk an issue... Because I know a thing or two about that. Remember when Neela fought the bull? I do. How long did we kept that in the news cycle, Nate? You got, you got some weeks. good mileage out of it. Two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty awesome. She fought a bull. She fought a bull. It was pretty. <laughs> so here's the story behind it. I'm just going to tell the story real quick. So I was on a family, well, a working family vacation in Naramata in B.C., so I was with my in-laws and uh, I was, fortunately, I was locked into the cabin the whole time. But, and the kids and Matt, my toddler was just toddling around. The 10 years old found friends so she would disappear all day because we're staying, we're staying in a resort kind of thing. And <laughs> Leela calls me the Friday night. She's like, oh, tomorrow I'm running, but I'm doing the run with the bulls, but don't worry, I'm going to ride the fence. And I was like, you're telling me that now. And then she calls me, Sarah, and I, so she was like, apparently I saved someone, but everything's a blur. And then I get a video and I'm like, what the? <laughs> I call Leela. I was like, no more. But we, we used it. We used it a lot. We have no shame. As a strategist, you have no shame. You got to use what you have, right? And we, we managed to keep it in <laughs> the cycle for two weeks and it was quite fascinating to watch but it was a genuine wholesome moment of just real someone yep. really trying to help that kid yank it out and take it out of there because he could get injured real bad and oh, yeah. Lila's not she's itty bitty like Leela is a tiny little thing so but you know it's just they're gonna be milking it forever she 
stop giving material for position, guys. We, it's part of the strategy, right? I'm, I always say we're one screenshot away from spinning an issue. Always, always, always a screenshot away from dealing with something that could potentially be fatal to a campaign. So everything needs to be calculated and surgically, surgically executed. Because if not, you're done. I mean, to your credit, though, as much as you kept it in the, the news cycle, it was she fought one bull, not 2.7 million. No, I know. She, it was just one. It was a cool video, though. So not it looking was, up for anything in particular this week? No, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the unions will get a little riled up this week and we're going to be hearing more from them. Um, you know, you know, what would be great with that transition thing, more funding into universities and post-secondary education. Well, there's that training piece. Continuing into continuing education, because we do need it to invest. Like we're saying that we're going to go get paramedics in Australia. Uh, they have the same problem as we do right now. So I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but you know, good luck. Um, let's provide more training. Let's invest in our future and our taxpayer base. But for every leftist issue, there's always a conservative argument to it. There's always a conservative components when you think about future taxpayer base, being able to sustain your healthcare system, being able to sustain your whole economy, not only healthcare workers and teachers and all that, but there's a whole economy surrounding that that needs to be preserved as well. So you yeah, will see what's going to happen. But, you know, this week would be a great week to say, hey, we're going to be subsidizing, you know, um, you know, post-secondary and continuing education to a very hefty percentage. That would be fantastic. But, you know, we're getting ready for that huge influx of students that will be hitting the universities. But right now, the problem is that the universities do not necessarily have the capacity to handle all of those students. And affordability, affordability on this day of $100 checks. Oh, by the way, I received my carbon tax rebate. Thanks. No, congratulations. Yeah, you know, I get money back. Um most people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, it's a thing. Point. Most people actually you know. get more than they pay, but you know, I think I get 200 bucks every quarter. Yeah. But now. you, you make, you make mad stacks. No, I don't. Mad stacks. No, I don't. I drive a Toyota. What do you drive? Mad stacks. That's all I'm saying. My husband loves me, but. <laughs> 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 Nate, I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying, Mad Stacks is Mad Stacks. That's all. Yeah. So, but we need to invest and protect our province, and campaigns need to wake the fuck up right now, because if we don't, in ten years, we're gonna be in big boo-boos. It's not normal that you need 97 average to get into nursing school. It is not normal. It is not med school. It is nursing school. And very often the students that struggle a little bit more in high school makes 
excellent nurse because their critical thinking and street skills are kicking in quite a bit more and very often. I'm not saying that, hold on. I'm not saying that people that have 97s are making bad nurses, not what I'm saying. But when you have a different type of thinking and how you work very often, those nurses make kick-ass ER nurses and ICU nurses and kick-ass EMS because their reactivity and the way they are thinking and the way they operate is very different. So we need people from every single, let's just Walking educate light. the province, shall we? There we go. That's reasonable. I'm going to clear the room. Clear the room. I'm going to clear the room. As always. I'm going to drink my flow liberal water. Your box of water. Are you going to pour it all over your... Oh, that was such a dumb video. Um, as always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we'd love nothing more than if you signed up to be one of our sponsors at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for the price of just a, I don't know, perhaps a fancy box of water a month, you can help us to continue to try to produce the content that we do. Um, and uh, we got some fun can stuff coming up. Can I make you a clarification? It does not pay for my car. Just no. Say. no, 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 it goes, it goes towards like the, the streaming stuff and the, the yes. tech stuff. We got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, I had a fun conversation today with Chad Smith for be the change YYC. We're going to be looking to do a follow-up chat with him. Cause it's been a couple of years since we sat down with him. Um, we also have our, uh, we're, we're doing some on, uh, what is it called when you go to the place uh, on location? We're doing an on location thing tomorrow uh, for a very special little uh, one-off episode that we're going to be doing about a certain far-right media organization. It's going to be spicy. Um, and it's, be again, because of the, the support of you wonderful folks that were able to do those sorts of things. If you're not able to be one of our Patreon sponsors, totally get it because the affordability problem is a real thing. So, you know, just like, share, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, as the, as the kids oh. say. Uh, like you smash the patriarchy and and the little bell i'm told is a thing too that you need to so it says the videos are live or something do that too um and we will be back here on sunday um eight o'clock sir biggs thank you so much as always Everybody on the, the chat, in the YouTubes, and the, the Facebooks, even even the one guy who clearly came here to troll. Thanks for spending Oh, yeah. I us. saw him. That I'm was, just seeing him now. I'm, That's cute. Yeah. We're, nobody's in anybody's mom's basements. Sorry, man. That joke's... No, that sorry. Joke's I, I only, the the I truth only... is... We, we film all of these from the basement of a, a secret location in a, a pizza shop. That's all I'm going to say. Uh... <laughs> There we go. Now you got it. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Mm -hmm.